close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Storr. I'm Paul Bestel. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 115, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How are you, Paul? I'm very well. How are you, sir? I'm good. We've both sort of been through the fire. We had a, a rough couple days there. Yes. But, uh, which, which was bizarre because it happened to both of us, unbeknownst mm. to the other, on the yeah. same day, which is some kind of dark achievement, I think. Yeah, some kind of transatlantic stupor. Either that or there's someone out there with two very handsome voodoo dolls. <laughs> well, he's not got any hair off my head. <laughs> or mine. Come to th- I mean, You know what? I, I got enough on my back for both of us. So. <laughs> Ladies, Mm. this episode is actually something I'm really eager to see how it's received because Mm. this episode is a script I've been saving for more than a year now. It is a listener story show, but it is a listener story show where all the stories are centered around family members who have passed, who are coming to say goodbye, or who are letting the people know that they are okay or that they have passed. And I started putting it together and I want to say like May or June during the pandemic, but I just thought, who, who the fuck wants all the sad stuff right Mm. now? Like the world's not tragic enough. Finally, it took some time and and I thought, uh, you know, obviously things are not improving everywhere. You know, Mm. things are still quite serious. However, I think psychologically, a lot of us are feeling maybe a touch of relief for a moment. And I think it's a good time to, to, to put this out there because I think it's, uh, I think it may be a kind of a catharsis. What do you think? Yeah, I like these kind of stories. I find them quite emotionally uplifting. And um, there's, some, there's some stories that, you know, pull on your heartstrings. And it's, it's an aspect of the paranormal I've always had a lot of time for. I find them quite um, empowering stories. Before we get going, actually, I've got, because uh, we've got a lot of stories, so I'm going to, we're going to keep this part relatively brief, but um, I had a, a paranormal experience, which hasn't happened in a while. Mm. And of course it happened on my two night vacation. You know, the moment I step away from the show where I think, you know what, I'm not going to worry about social media. I'm not going to worry about uh, responding to emails or messages or anything like that. I'm going to go take some edibles in a cabin in the woods with some friends, I'm <laughs> drink tequila and miss Cal and stare out the window, maybe sit in the hot tub. <laughs> and, and the house was fascinating. Like we, my wife rented the place and it, it was like literally like a Roman whorehouse. It was so <laughs> odd from the outside. It was very nondescript, but you go inside and it's this enormous open floor plan where none of the bedroom walls go all the way to the ceiling. Oh, right. Including the ensuite bathroom. The it does not go to the ceiling. <laughs> So, you know, and that actually comes into play later and not in a fun way, mm. <laughs> but, uh, get there and, and I go downstairs and I thought I felt a little bit of something down in the basement. And obviously you might think, well, basement, you're going to think that, mm. but the basement, it was above ground, you know, it had windows. So it was actually got, a, got a fair bit of natural light, but there was something about it. Something felt a little bit off, but again, I thought, ah, who cares? You know, I'm, I'm not here for that. I'm sure I'm just overthinking it. Mm. 
so we got settled and we were laughing about what a, just a design travesty this place was, you know, the, <laughs> the bathroom with, with glitter glued, to, like golden glitter glued to the walls. I'm not even exaggerating. Oh, nice. It was, it was wonderful in its just absolute bizarreness. <laughs> you know, the, the bathroom was literally the size of my, probably the size of my bedroom. And I want to say about 30% of the space is actually used. The rest yeah. is just echoing vastness. Like literally I, I'd be concerned that if you broke wind in there, you would blow out your eardrums. <laughs> but one of the things we noticed was that with all this opulence, uh, I should say kitschy, uh, you know, dollar store opulence, there was, uh, two, there are two clocks. There's one on the, the microwave and one on the, um, the stove. And there must've been a power cut at some point because they were the wrong times and they were blinking. Well, the following morning, despite the fact that neither of us had done it, those clocks were set to the right time. The, the, uh, coffee maker was two minutes later than the stove, but yeah, they were both set to the right time. And I tell you, man, you want to talk suspicious. It, it, this, this was, you know, that game werewolves within, you're trying to figure out which he is the fucking werewolf. We're yeah. all just sitting there in this cabin staring at each other. So we kind of joked, so, okay, oh, it's the ghost. Ho, 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 kind of went on with our lives, because what else do you do? Hmm. And then the second night, and the second night was Monday, and as you and I discussed, that was sort of our, our rough night for both of us. I, uh, because I'm me, you know, even though we were on vacation, I still fell asleep on the couch. Hmm. The first night I was out there till about three, got up, went to the bedroom, fell asleep. The second night, something woke me up, like I woke up about 1230. And just had this really strong feeling like I should just go to bed Yeah. right now. Just go to bed before one o'clock, go to bed. So I, I did, I got up, turned everything off. Then about, mm, I want to say three 30 ish, three in the morning, I woke up I, I really had to pee. Mm. So I got out of bed and, and again, I didn't care about the noise echoing throughout the entire fucking house. Cause I really had to go and the ensuite was right there. So I go into the ensuite start doing my thing. Literally the second, the sound of it starts, something banged on the bedroom door so fucking hard. And I didn't know what to do because I'm like, I'm still peeing. I, I, and I literally just froze and waited to see what happened and nothing happened. So I thought, okay, well, you know, maybe that's my imagination. So I finish mm -hmm. up and then I flush the toilet, which of course is the next explosion of sound. There was another bang and the sound of something being dragged. And I very bravely jumped into bed, went under the covers and forced myself back to sleep. And that's how I, that's how I dealt with the situation. <laughs> but I, I asked everyone else the following morning, they hadn't heard anything. No oh. one had, no one had even woken up. So it, it was the, it was just the weirdest shit. And I mean, the, the person who owns a place lives downstairs. So yeah. it's possible that, you know. Like I thought, oh, maybe they're slamming doors. Like I actually thought maybe she had come upstairs and set the clocks. Yeah. But you know, considering that I was out on the couch until three the first night and the next person was up at six, you know, there's a three hour window for this woman to creep ninja like upstairs to change two clocks. But yeah, so you know, I thought maybe it was her, but it was so immediate, you know, that sound like it was, it wasn't coming from downstairs or from the, the neighboring apartment. Mm -hmm. It was right on the bedroom door. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that was the spirit of the house going, Hey, go back to sleep. You asshole. I, I don't know what that was, but, uh, I'm, I'm not in any hurry to go back to this Roman whorehouse in the woods. And I never thought I'd say that sentence. 
toilet tulpa. <laughs> well, I can't beat that. So let's just do the patron shoutouts. Okay. This one's for the patrons. That's right, patrons. You are the Cagney to our Lacey. And none of this <laughs> happens without... Not too bad, right? Happens without you. So, if you want to find out how to join the team, head on to patreon.com slash guys and listen at the end of the show to find out what all the cool stuff you get. Here, we're just going to thank... Well, we're going to thank all our patrons, because you guys rule. And we're specifically going to thank our latest patrons. They are... Iris Art Studios. Freya Unthank. And Karamichi. Thank you so, so much, guys. Again, the show doesn't happen without you. You guys pay my salary. You make it possible for all of this great machine to be working. And we love you for it. So thank you from the bottom of our terrible, terrible hearts. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And we'll be right back with stories of the goodbye ghosts. Welcome back. Uh, do you have any personal stories of these, these kind of, uh, sort of afterlife visitations or, you know, kind of messages from beyond? I mean, I, I've talked about a few of mine on the show, but I don't know if we've talked about yours. Yeah. And um, we had a very similar situation. Um, my auntie passed away from cancer in 1988, which seems like a lifetime ago now. Um, and she was one of those people didn't smoke, didn't drink heavily, um, unfortunately was was diagnosed with cancer and it and it took her pretty quickly within about 12 months my uncle and my parents both had a experience that were both dramatically different in both the tone and the actual emotional response oh interesting um, so my my uncle was cleaning the kitchen and he turned round to see the head of my aunt Oh. facing him um, and all she did was scream at him oh my god it seemed like ages but it was probably a few seconds and it obviously deeply deeply disturbed him and upset him a great deal um, and it was very unusual because they were all very close loved each other very much and there was there was nothing that could possibly cause it you know yeah there was no unsaid thing that had occurred there was no animosity there so it was quite peculiar my uncle bless him was not someone of of a of a paranormal train of thought um, a very grounded man royal navy traveled the world seen a lot so he wasn't someone prone to um, exaggeration and uh, tall tales to say the least yeah um but then the other aspect that occurred was that my stepfather was a, a deeply sceptical man, a scientist. So it was all, all bunkum. So he picked the wrong family to marry into. Um, <laughs> but um, obviously one of the, one of the ramifications of my aunt's illness was that they would use Ulbus oil to try and help soothe her condition towards the end, which is like a, an aromatherapy oil. 
Okay. If you're not aware of what Olbus oil is. I was going to say, yeah, I'm, I'm not familiar with it. Mm. So essentially, um, my parents had gone to bed and then they were both awoken at around 4 a.m. And the room had filled with the aroma to the, to the level that it woke them both up. It was that pungent from absolutely nowhere. Obviously, it couldn't just come in from outside or, you know, and they had none that was available. And it literally filled the room for 10 seconds, overpowered their senses, woke them both up. And they both apparently laid there, unaware that the other one was awake at the same time. And then the aroma just dissipated. And in the morning, my stepfather said, I think we had a visitor last night. And that's all he ever said about it. <laughs> oh, wow. And that was it. So, yeah, two very different events. And I've spoken to, to some people in regards to what happened to my uncle because we've always kind of looked at it as a, as a negative response. But a couple of people I'd spoken to who work in paranormal research and, and such things said perhaps it was being done in a positive way to kind of shock them into something or shock them out of something. Oh, fascinating. And I'd never considered that that opinion towards the event until they'd mentioned it. So I kind of, I'm, I'm not sure what the cause was. And we've, you know, you know, we're talking about things that happened over 30 years ago now, but there were but two very distinct incidents that occurred within a short space of time to, to two people at two different parts of the, of the UK. That is interesting. The idea of, of shocking someone. I mean, were they struggling with grief maybe? Because I, I know men, mm. you know, we, we tend to not sometimes process grief as well because we don't, we're not really encouraged to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Was, was um, that a, possibly a factor? It is quite interesting because things were, things were never the same in our family after that. Uh, sorry, after the death or after the screen? Yeah. After, after my aunt passed away, things, things were never the same again. Um, interesting. We would often see each other quite a lot, visit each other, travel around, go everywhere, meet each other. It's very occasional since, you know, you'd see, you'd see them three, four, five times a year prior to her passing. Um, I mean, obviously I can't see some of them because they don't live in the UK. Um, sure. I mean, that's <laughs> um, very tough. But, yeah, well, precisely. But, um, you know, one member of the family, nobody's seen them for the 30 years well, not 30, about 25 years um, because other things occurred after this event. And then there's other other aspects of it. We've got family that have emigrated. We've got other other situations in the family. So it it's kind of like that line where when I look back at it, it's when my childhood finished. Right, of course. If that makes sense, because I was 15 when that happened. Right. Uh, and, and things were never the same again, unfortunately. It's almost like some people are the linchpins mm. in certain dynamics. And you don't necessarily understand that until they're gone. Yeah. You know, it, it, we sort of had a similar experience in my family, not, not with the paranormal visitation part of it, but when my uh, paternal grandparents died, mm. that side of the family, I mean, my grandmother died in October, 2004. And my grandfather, her husband, my grandfather died in June of the following year. And mm. that was it. Like we, we used to get together, the family would go for breakfast every Sunday. We'd go meet out somewhere for breakfast. And then for Sunday dinner, we would all get together for family meals. Mm. And you know, that really changed. And I, 
you know, we still have gotten together from mm-hmm. time to time, but it's, it's never been the same. Everyone's kind of broken off into their own little family units. Yeah. So we just don't, you don't have the big meals. Again, it's sort of this notion of some people are the connective tissue and it's sad, right? Cause being together is a hell of a lot better than being apart. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. I mean, it was one of those things you always, always look forward to, you know, like several people around the table at Christmas and it's, it's sometimes that realization that one Christmas you just kind of sit there and think this, this table used to be full and now there's like three or four or five of us, you know, it's, yeah, man. it's times like that where having, having a family and things like that and, and different people who you haven't seen for ages, it's that, it's that kind of thing that makes those occasions special. And I think that's one of the, the things that we often overlook about our childhood is that we're often surrounded by aunties and uncles and cousins and grandparents and, and their relatives. And it's, it, it is probably sad that it's, it's one of the negatives of, of growing up, I suppose. So that yeah. was a, a very serious, very serious, uh, moment from the ghost story guys there. It's, this is yeah, it's a very, very grown up conversation there. Ugh. Yeah. I just consider the fact that I'm far more stylish than my relatives were at my age. <laughs> well, you're Paul fucking Bestel. I mean, come on. Yeah. It's one of those things. Whenever I watch an old paranormal documentary from the seventies and stuff, I just think, Jesus Christ, how old did people look in the seventies? What was going on there? <laughs> See, this is why we thought everyone was older than they were when we were kids. Yeah, yeah. I see some interviews with people and I'm thinking, he's how old? 37? He looks 60. So I don't know. I don't know if that's a, a combination of nylon and brill cream. Right? But, um, and I'm, I'm glad we seem to have embraced other fabrics and, and better beauty regimes in the, in the modern era. And I'm grateful that the, the future, the bright shining future has stylish Paul Bestel in it. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I've always, always been quite metrosexual, so, uh, I shall continue with my cleanse tone and moisturizing regime. Go for it. My old son. Absolutely. Just before we go to the stories, I have to admit what a yokel I am. <laughs> when I first went to England and I still have the picture, I saw a man in a pink polo shirt and I am so, or I was so normalized to strict masculine norm bullshit that <laughs> this man wearing a pink shirt was like a bomb going off in my brain. I took a picture of him cause I said, look, there's a guy in a pink shirt. <laughs> I think I've got about five. Goddamn rights. You should absolutely. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I, I was, yeah, I was, I was, it's taken me some time to become, uh, <laughs> to become enlightened. And though I'm still not at, uh, Moisture, a skincare routine, enlightened, <laughs> such as you, like yourself. I, I'm at a place where I both respect and appreciate it. Good. You're always welcome on our side. Fantastic. Finally, someone wants me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now on with the stories. This story is from Harry. To start off with, my mother has always been very in tune with the paranormal. She seems to know things that are going to happen, such as deaths before there is any way she could have any idea of it. We often joke around and call her a witch, but of the friendly kind, of course. From a young age, she was close with her grandfather. They both lived in Essex, 
so saw each other most days to catch up on whatever was going on. Around the time Mum was 15, he fell very ill with a blood disorder, possibly leukaemia, and quickly deteriorated. She, for obvious reasons, found this very difficult to deal with. One night, she was restless as she felt something had happened, but eventually got to sleep. She awoke in the early hours of the morning to pressure at the end of her bed, as if someone was sitting by her feet. I remember her telling me that she didn't have any fear as such, but a comforting, familiar sort of aura filled the room. However, she was still cautious in raising her head to see whatever was causing this. She saw a young man in his prime, looking at her kindly with a calming smile. From head to toe, he was glowing a faint light blue that brightened up her dark bedroom. She recognised him instantly as her grandfather. She lay there shocked and confused for a few seconds when he moved closer, held her hand and said to her, I'm in a safe place, without pain, and I'll see you again. Too shocked to reply, she lay there holding his hand for she doesn't know how long, and then he disappeared. The following morning, she found out that her grandfather had died in the early hours. So thank you, Harry. And these stories, some of these are kind of blasts from the past because we've been collecting these for really as long as the show has been around. So it may be that if you've been listening to the show for a while and you sent us a story about one of these visitations, you may actually hear it on this show. And so, uh, you know, again, thank you to everyone who sends them in. And we're going to, you know, we're going to have some fun because I think if we focus too much on the stories themselves, I think it's going to be too easy to get mired in, in kind of sadness. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you have these experiences, the overwhelming response from the person that's had the experience is one of positivity and, and happiness because it, it, it reassures them that things are okay. Yeah. And, and that there is progress. Mm after the point of death. You know, I, I think that's, I mean, that's, that's always a paralyzing fear that, uh, well, for most people, I, I know there are some people who kind of pull that whole, you know, oh, I cannot wait for death because I am so tired of life. Kind of, <laughs> yes, you know, weary artist bullshit. Mm. But um, I think most people like the idea that they're, you know, we don't just wink out of existence once, you know, once the show is over, there is something else waiting for us. And I mean, I'm not a heaven guy, exactly, but I, I do take a lot of comfort in knowing that the adventure continues. And so mm. stories like this, I, I do find, yeah, really reassuring. But, you know, before we did this, you, you were kind of the one who sort of caught me when I said, well, you know, they, I'm worried it's going to be too sad. And you said, no, no, they, they don't have to be. You know, these are actually positive stories. And it's, it's nice to have that sort of course correction because I can get a bit, a bit Italian with some of yeah. these things. Yeah. I always like these kind of stories like Harry's centers there where the person that comes back has, has kind of reverted to their prime as well. That's yeah. always an interesting trend in some of these stories, that people recognize the person that's come, even though really it doesn't look like who they remember them to be. Yeah. I know I've had dreams of my grandfather where I'm seeing him as a, as a much younger man. Mm. You know, rarely do I ever see him looking as I recall him you know, when I actually knew him as, an, as, you know, probably in his 50s and above, but, mm. you know, I'm seeing him sort of in his 30s, which is obviously, mm. you know, nothing I'd ever seen. And I wonder if that's, if it's true that you get a choice, mm. you know, like you, you sort of, you appear how you choose to appear mm. because I, I would want to appear like a dinosaur, I think. <laughs> I'd just be glad to have hair again. 
<laughs> I don't know. The bald, the powerful bald look is so good. You've got the skull for it. I have kind of a weird shaped skull. <laughs> well, yeah, true. I'm very fortunate that I've gone bald and I've got a head for baldness. But um, yeah, it would be nice to be uh, in that sort of teenage pomp with my, you know, highlight hair, glowing skin, <laughs> no bags under my eyes. Halcyon days. Halcyon days. Yeah. You can keep that shit. I'm going to be chasing Jeff Goldblum across the jungle. <laughs> this story's from Neil. For very complex reasons that I, I won't delve into, I was raised by my maternal grandparents. I was especially close to, respected, and looked up to my grandfather. He was a kind and practical man with a wry, dry wit and offbeat sense of humor. I inherited this sense of humor and unfortunately also his hairline. <laughs> He passed away in March of 2004 after a brief illness. Before he died, he told me that he always considered me his son. It was nice to hear, but I already knew that. The day before he died, he was mostly unresponsive, his eyes locked onto something on the opposite wall. When I left for the night to go home to my then very pregnant wife, I said goodnight to him and turned to leave. After I said goodbye, he looked at me and waved. This left everyone in the room dumbfounded. I smiled and went home. The next day he passed with all of his children and grandchildren present. It was peaceful and seemed a decent way to go. I hope I'm fortunate enough to go with as much peace and dignity when it is my time. A few days later, after the funeral and interment, we were on our way back to the church hall for the wake, and I was feeling really sad, on the brink of tears. Wife and two young ones in the car, and I had on a classic rock station at the time. At that moment, Ozzy Osbourne's No More Tears started playing, and I thought, Well played, Grandpa. And I smiled. Several years later, I don't even remember what was happening in my life at the time. I had a vivid dream where I was home at my grandparents' house, and everything looked normal. But as I went back into the hall, my grandfather was there. He gave me a big hug and told me he was proud of me. I told him tearfully that I missed him so much, and he said he missed me too. It felt so real. I could feel his hug and smell his old spice aftershave. I had heard about people having these types of dreams about deceased loved ones, but did not really know what they meant about it feeling so real until I experienced it for myself. After I woke up, which was a gentle, gradual fade out of the dream, I felt such a lingering sense of warmth, love, and peace. I really believe this was more than just a dream. Maybe that is wishful thinking, but I am okay with that. Thank you, Neil. And that's so beautiful. And mm. honestly, that mirrors my own experience with my grandfather so closely. It's, yeah. you know, again... He was, we, we would tease him about being bald. And he always say, you're going to end up bald just like me. <laughs> and I'd say, never going to happen. And here I am. Bald <laughs> as fuck. Actually, I've never, I don't think I've ever told this story publicly before. It's kind of embarrassing, but fuck it. What the hell? Neil shared with us. I'll share with you guys. So my grandpa, he sometimes liked to play pranks on us. Never very often and never cruel jokes. He was not a mm. cruel man. He was a very, very kind man. But... He had um, a, like, uh, a back massager. And mm. yes, I know what you're saying, but it was actually a back massager. And if it wasn't, I hope I never know. But um, he told me, he said, oh, if you, if you, because he liked having his head massaged. He said, well, if you put it on, on if you use that on my head, my hair will grow back. <laughs> and, I, and I said, oh, no, no, it won't, Grandpa. You're, you're, you're crazy. And he's like, no, 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 really, really. You know, give me, give me a head massage with this thing. And. My hair will grow back. And I'm, okay, fine. And he talked me into it. So I, you know, gave him a head massage. He's very, very happy. I went to bed. 
Well, the next morning, he walks into my room and he's got a full head of hair. <laughs> and I lost my fool mind. <laughs> and I, I was just a gog. I said, oh my God. And I was just, it was bigger and bigger. And then he pulled off the wig and oh, you motherfucker. <laughs> oh, it just the grin on his face. He was so fucking happy. And, uh, it's, it's, I, uh, you know, I hadn't thought of that in years, but it was, yeah, he got me good. And for years he would, he would refer back to that. And quite rightly, cause if I ever, if I ever get a win that amazing, you bet your yeah. sweet ass you're going to hear about it forever. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the granddad's role in a family is to be that kind of personality as well. So thank you. Thank you again, Neil. Our next story is from Andrew. During our time at college, my friend, who we'll call Brittany, lost her mother, leaving their father and three children behind. The youngest, who we'll call Adam, was 11 and is autistic. In 2013, Brittany received a call informing her that her family's home had caught on fire. When she had arrived at the scene, the fire was already out and her family all accounted for, but she noticed her dad was holding Adam tight and crying. When she asked what was going on, her dad said that the fire had spread so quickly, blocking the hallway between Adam's bedroom and the exit. Her dad said he had been outside trying to call for help for Adam when he suddenly came out of the front door, calm as can be. His dad asked him how he got through, and he said, Mama showed me. It was an emotional moment for Brittany and her family, who believed that the spirit of their late mother guided Adam through the house to safety. As you guys have said before on the show, not all spirits are here to harm us. So thank you again, Andrew. And it, that's so true. You know, it's so mm -hmm. true. I mean, we're as guilty of it as anybody kind of leaning into the woo, it's scary trope, because hey, you know, it, it makes for great entertainment. <laughs> but yeah, the, the the paranormal is not by its by its nature negative or scary, you know. And I love stories like this, man. Because yeah. how else did the kid find his way out of there? Why would he make that up? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I think that there's probably more of these stories out there where people have had traumatic experiences, be it a house fire or an illness, and they receive a visitation, or uh, people have been in in car accidents. And things have happened. And I think there are numerous examples of, of such positive reactions to things. And it, and it begs the question that if you are in a life and death situation, is that a catalyst for something to reach out to help? Well, it's funny you say that because one of the first books um, I, I read on the paranormal was The Third Man Factor, Surviving the Impossible by John Geiger. It's all about this phenomenon, and I'm sure you, you're familiar with this, Paul, where when people are in life or death survival situations, mm. they often feel as though there is someone else there with them. And this can happen either individually or in a group. Yeah. And of course it's, it's named for, um, I want to say the Shackleton, something happened on the Shackleton expedition to the, to the Antarctic. What didn't happen on that exhibition expedition? Oh Christ. I know. Yeah. That thing was a, a mess. And for, for our listeners who don't know, the ship was lost in the ice. So they made it to, I believe it was called Elephant Island. Yeah. Yeah. And they, there was a way, I think a whaling station on the other side of the island. Mm. And, but all they had was, was clean water. There was no food. So three of them 
resolved to hike over the interior of the island to the whaling station on the other side. And this was not easy. You know, this was a mountainous kind of thing. And when they finally got there, it, the, the stories say they looked barely human. But um, each of them reported separately the feeling as though there was a fourth man with them the mm. entire time. Eventually, I think it was a poem by Eliot is how it became the third man. Yeah. I'm, I'm not totally sure about that. And so it's, it's this notion that, yeah, this thing happens. And what was interesting is he also explored this idea that, because Geiger kind of approached it as this is like a survival mechanism in the brain. That's what he thought. That was kind of his initial assumption. Hmm. Because they said that, it, well, you only ever hear about it from people who survived. So it's obviously a hallucination they come up with to explain their survival. But they've actually found records of this happening to people who are also, who did not make it. Yeah. You know, there have been mountain climbers who have perished in their tents and there are diary entries talking about, you know, I'm, I'm certain there's someone else here. I think when you get situations like that, and I would recommend that if anybody's not aware of the Shackleton story, that still, I think it's what, a hundred years on, is absolutely jaw-dropping what went on in that expedition and how they got out of it. it it's terrifying to even comprehend what happened to that team. It's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you want to talk about the absolute limits of human endurance. <sighs> The Shackleton Expedition is unbelievable. This story's from Louisa. I have endured the paranormal all my life, from being a little kid living in Maryland and now as an adult in Florida. This sensitivity has passed on to my children as well, mainly my youngest, but all three of my children have had experiences. My oldest child, Sai, is 16, or would have been this past May. We have lost him by way of suicide. My middle child, Izzy, is now 14. My youngest, Danny, is 12 and a half. My youngest is a vivid dreamer like me, and the one most sensitive. He loves talking about paranormal things. In our old house, we had plenty going on there, even though before we built that house, there was still a decent amount of activity. We lived there 11 years before moving into a bigger house in the woods down the road, also about a year ago. We were going to church then, and when things would act up for my youngest, he would ask me to bless his room with holy water. I would, and things would settle down. My story goes like this. My oldest had attempted to take his life for the first time at the end of April of his freshman year in high school. We were in the hospital for a week with him. My husband had been out of the house since March due to some allergy that wouldn't allow him to be in the house more than a couple hours at a time and got worse at night. He has asthma, so when his allergies act up, so does closing off of lung function. This is significant because it is ultimately what caused us to move from our beginner home. After the first attempt, we had our son in therapy and on meds. He was diagnosed with depression and general anxiety. He made a second attempt in the summer, and then stayed at home with me and his siblings. We were pretty much on lockdown all summer. All the kids slept in my room. His siblings did a great job looking after him and always being aware of his mental state. By the time school rolled around again, he seemed a bit better and was happy to see friends again and try to get back to some normalcy. We started looking for houses too. As I mentioned, we found a house in the woods, off a dirt road with a handful of people living in the neighborhood. We told the owners we were moving due to the allergy, and they agreed to let my husband spend the night one night to make sure there wasn't anything that was going to bother his allergies before we made the final plunge into buying the house. My husband did that, and had no reaction to anything that night, so it was a go for buying the house. In the middle of procuring this house, four days before my daughter's birthday, we lost our son. 
We have a wonderful community, though, and they gave us plenty of love and support. I had plenty of friends visit me during the days, and one particular friend told me something significant. Her son is a year younger than my oldest, and they went to the same middle and high schools, and fenced together. My son told her son that he began getting sad in seventh grade. My second son, Danny, started having dreams of Sai a week or so after his passing. I forget most of them now, but Sai was trying to communicate, and one in particular was important. Denny told me that Sai told him in a dream that he started getting sad in seventh grade. There was no way for Denny to know that, or to have heard that from my friend, as she had visited me during the day while he was at school. I became a bit sad and frustrated, because I hadn't dreamed of Sai yet, and I wanted to see him again. It wasn't until early December that I finally did. I had come out of surgery for my knee, again, and was waiting on the sidewalk for my husband to pick me up. He pulled up, but my son Sai was in the back seat. I hopped in the back seat with him. We had a lovely conversation, and I truly enjoyed seeing his face again. Eventually, he told me he was sorry, and I told him I loved him, and I awoke with a good feeling. Not melancholy. It was a pleasant dream. Unfortunately, I haven't really had a dream with him in it since then, nor has Denny. My daughter also dreamed of him that same night. Hers was simple, but nice. He was playing his acoustic guitar in a booth at a restaurant. Louisa, thank you so much for sharing not only that story, but your trauma with us, because that's that's not an easy thing to share. And I know, I know for a fact this story was submitted a few years ago. And um, I, you know, again, I hope you're still listening. If you are, I just want to say thank you. And you know, this is probably a good time to talk about this because you and I, we we've got this mental health thing that we put in the show, yeah. and you know, we do that because it's just so fucking important mm-hmm. you know a- and we've been contacted a number of times now yeah. by listeners new and old who've said that that has been kind of lodged in their brain when they've had a yeah. bad time yeah and i'll tell you folks that's exactly why we do it because hearing something once isn't enough and like paul and i have both struggled with mental health and i know that someone telling you something once it's just not enough yeah. you really need the repetition. And so that's why we do it. And uh, again, it's, you know, some people have said it's connected and, and that's, that's good. And that's, uh, that's just the best thing we can possibly hear. Cause that shit ain't easy, man. Depression and anxiety yeah. are absolute bastards. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always good to be able to create a safe space for people who are struggling for whatever reason. And I'm glad that we can sometimes alleviate whatever anybody's going through. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more, man. And I mean, this actually kind of leads me to something we had talked about this on a past episode, but I, I cut it because I, w- I was sounded pretty angry about it. And I thought, no, I, I don't want to approach this with anger. Hmm. So I, just briefly, you know, like obviously since the changeover in January, we've been finding the new, like the new version of the show. And I'm genuinely so excited about making the show. I mean, I, sometimes I, I freak myself out and I get too nervous. So then I stress about making the show, but <laughs> I, I love doing it. You know, I'm, I'm like a dog who gets so excited to eat dinner and then I eat dinner too fast and I throw up. You know, that's very <laughs> much my personality sometimes. Yeah. But, um, you know, one of the comments we got from, from people kind of early on was they said that... Um, it seemed like I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't as vocal about mental health and I wasn't as vocal about, uh, about caring. You know, they said, oh, you've got the mental health thing in there, 
but it just doesn't seem like you care as much. And, and I'm not going to dwell on this, but basically, you know, what I kind of discovered about myself is that I, I have a lot to give in terms of, in terms of caring, you know, like the short version is I, I care a bunch, hmm. you know, and, and obviously like it's, it's hard to be a show like us where we have tens of thousands of listeners and to care individually about each person. You know, when you write emails or send me a text, I try my best to respond as much as I can, but you know, it's just hard. You, you can't individually address everyone because there just isn't time. But I, I care very, very much. Uh, but what happened was, you know, between the pandemic, between um, everything that happened in, in January, which really took a lot out of me, you know, and, and I'm not looking for sympathy. It's, it's just simply it's a statement of fact. I mean, Paul knows, you know, he, he saw me go through it and really very kindly jumped into the breach with me because, you know, he had to be stepdad and <laughs> no one likes stepdad. Um, and I'm always up for a challenge. Oh yeah, you're a hard motherfucker. There's, I've learned there's there's nothing, nothing. I, I wouldn't uh, if I if I had a test of strength or if I was concerned about something. You are the, literally the only person I can think of immediately who I think, well, this will not trouble Paul in the slightest. <laughs> but all that shit going on, you know, I didn't have the emotional bandwidth to be sort of openly caring as much as I would ordinarily like to, you know? Mm. And so that's why we put the, the mental health reminder in there and it's staying there obviously, because I, I think it's serving an important purpose, but that mental health reminder was kind of like a backstop, you know, in, in a time when I couldn't express what I would previously have expressed in terms of my affection for or concern for the audience that was there, you know? And, but again, it was always a case of, and I don't know that there's anyone, you know, this is only a handful of people ever said this, but you know, it bothered me. I wasn't sure quite how to respond, but, um, but yeah, that was just sort of something I, I felt like saying, cause again, reading stories like, like Louisa's, you know, it's hard. I mean, it, it matters. You know, this is someone who trusts you, who is giving yeah. you this story. People are trusting you with a piece of their life. And so it's very important to me that these people understand I I don't take that lightly and mm. it, it just, yeah, it's just so I consider it a, again, a, a gift. And so if there's anyone out there who thought, oh man, maybe, maybe Bren is just kind of an asshole. I mean, I am, don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a total asshole, but I'm an asshole who gives a shit and I'm an yes. asshole who cares deeply about you guys. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that'll, if that makes a difference, but it's something I've, I just, I've been wanting to say, and I'm not going to let myself cut it out this time. So. You, you just got to deal with it. And Paul, since we're, we're being all gushy here, thank you for being <laughs> stepdad. Cause yeah, again, I, I know that wasn't an easy situation to enter into. Yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've dealt with some challenging situations throughout my life. So, um, it's just, uh, another entry into the pantheon of experience. Yeah. True. True enough. Another sweet tattoo. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm probably the, the, the only man of my ilk with no ink. So uh, um, I'm, I'm loath to take the plunge because I know if I have one, I'll end up like the painted man or something. <laughs> so, Louisa, if you're still listening to the show, and I hope you are, and even if you're not, uh, thank you for sharing. And I hope that you and your family are, are doing well. I truly hope so. 
Our next contribution is from Matt. Less than a month ago, my grandma passed. We knew she was dying. While I was at work at one of my stops, I had a feeling that I needed to call my mum, who was with my grandma. The time was 11.52am. About an hour prior to this, my mum had called me and told me that grandma had taken a turn for the worst and she was unresponsive. After I got back in the car and was almost at the yard to finish my work day, my mum called me and told me that she had passed an hour or so earlier. I then rushed to the house, trying to make it there to say goodbye to her before the funeral home could take her body. When I got there, me and my family were crying and talking about how much we missed her. Mum told me that my grandma had passed away exactly at 11.52am. I was shocked and still can't believe it. I wonder now if my grandma may have been trying to subtly tell me goodbye. My grandma was my world. She meant everything to me. And I really hope that that's what it was. That she was saying she loved me one last time. And thank you, Matt. And and that's really beautiful. And I, I'm sure I'm sure that's what that was. Mm. Uh, coincidentally, that actually that happened with me when my grandfather passed. Mm. He uh, <clears throat> we visited him in the hospital. He had um, lymphoma, lymphoma, yeah. T cell lymphoma, and we visited him in the hospital that night. And he was not conscious because they had given him uh, they had given him a treatment. They said this treatment will either fix things or it's going to kill you. You know, mm. and my grandfather said, well, you know, I'm going to die anyway, so yeah. fuck it, let's try. And <laughs> it just shut him down completely. You know, he mm. was, he, it, he, it rendered him comatose. So that night we went home and at the time I was living in my, my house, I got home and, you know, I just stress cleaned. That's all I did. I just stress yeah. cleaned for hours. And then around 11 something, I just, all of, all of it went out of me. Just like someone had cut the strings on Pinocchio. Yeah. And I remember sitting on the stairs, I was cleaning the balustrade and I just remember flopping down and thinking, fuck it. And I put everything down. I just left it there and I went to bed and I want to say 30 minutes later, 40 minutes later, there was a knock at my front door. It was my mother and sister. My grandfather had passed and it was exactly the same time Mm. as all that, as it all had just run out of me. So, you know, again, is it a coincidence? I suppose it's possible, but much like Matt's story, I, I very much doubt it's a coincidence. I think there are too many occasions where things like this happen for it to be coincidence. Personally, I think people all around the world know someone with a very similar story and and have had a, a similar reaction, be it a feeling or a, a release or a an embrace or whatever you want to call it. And it's, I find it quite a touching thing that, for some people, it's what they need because it clearly shows the bond between the person that's passed and the person that's going to miss them because obviously that person somehow has the ability to come and say goodbye one last time to them. So I think that means a lot and I think people should take a lot from that because it's clearly a, uh, a gesture done, done through love. Uh, absolutely. And it always makes me think of this notion of soul groups. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I don't know where I sit on the reincarnation spectrum in terms of belief, but I'm sort of fascinated by some of their notions. And one of them is that there are people with whom we are close and, you know, no matter how many times we are born, we will find them and yeah. they may be, the relationship may be different, 
but we will always be close to them mm. or we will always sort of value them. And I find that, well, I, I find it kind of comforting, I guess, and, and not comforting because, yeah. well, for me, it's comforting, but I can imagine, you know, if like Titanic, you know, you find someone who's, uh, you know, like who's your, one of your soul group and you're, you're deeply connected and you love them romantically mm. more than anyone else. And then they pass. And then of course, you know, romantically, you still have to go on, right? You can't, you can't let grief consume you and, and take your life over. So you got to move on and find someone and, and whoever you find next, you love that person, of course. But if there is this soul connection and that first person was in fact your, I don't like the term soulmate very much, but it, you know, was part of your soul group. And maybe this person was sort of like a less integral part of that soul group, the person you're with next. Hmm. I do kind of think that's a bummer, you know, cause I, I, again, I kind of imagine, I think of it in terms of Titanic, you know, the old lady at the end of Titanic, when her husband dies, you know, he's like, oh, I, I can't wait for my wife to get here. And then he, she turns up and she runs up the hallway and he's thinking, oh, fucking fantastic. I've missed. And she runs right into Leonardo DiCaprio's arms. <laughs> like, Son of a bitch. That's got to be disappointing. <laughs> These are the things I think about, Paul. Mm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. That's, See, that's, I was thinking that's... that that from the other aspect of the survivor who then meets somebody else, thinking, "Well, what does that person feel like? Is that always being repeated that they will always be the rebound soul?" Oh, <laughs> the eternal Charlie Brown. Yeah. <laughs> this story's from Paul, not not that Paul, other Paul, and uh, this is actually the same other Paul who shared a story with us on a previous show. So, Paul, if you're out there, we shared one of your stories, and, and now we're sharing your other. So he says, One other experience happened when I was a young child, around six to nine years old. My family had just moved into my father's homestead, as my sister and I were growing older and needed separate bedrooms. My grandpa died before I was born, and my grandma shortly before we moved into the house. It was a 1940s farmhouse, with basement and two floors above ground. My sister and I had separate rooms at the top of the stairs, and I had an adjacent room attached to mine where I would play, build Legos, and use my train set. That sounds awesome, I gotta be honest with you. My sister was in a lot of activities, Girl Scouts, 4-H, and other after-school clubs, so my mom and she were gone most nights, and a few times a month my dad would have a fireman's meeting or need to be working on the farm late. On these nights in particular, when I was alone in the house, I would go to bed, and after about 15 to 20 minutes of laying ready to fall asleep, I would hear footsteps coming up the stairs towards my room. At the top of the stairs, there's a small landing, and then three or four more steps split in both directions to my sister's room on the left and my own room on the right. I would hear the steps approach the landing and then turn right to my room. At this point, I would be under my covers, hoping it would go away and tell myself I was making this up in my mind. It's an old house, it's the wind, and anything else to settle my mind so I could sleep. During these experiences, I would never feel as though I was going to get attacked or have anything bad happen. I was just startled and a little scared. That would soon pass and I would fall asleep. Finally, after a few dozen of these nights, when the steps were approaching the landing, I yelled, Grandpa, I'm okay, and you don't need to check on me anymore. Suddenly the steps stopped, and I never heard them again. I do feel this was my grandpa, having never met me, just doing as he would have and walking through the house at night to make sure I was safe. I always felt comforted within the house after this, and still do to this day. And that's, that's lovely, Paul. 
thank you so much. I, I do. I love the notion that, you know, people can look out for us in the great mm. beyond. Yeah, I think it's a very reassuring thing, isn't it? To know that whatever happens, there's always a feeling of someone watching out for us. You got to wonder, though, I mean, knowing you and I and our, our sort of predilection for ending up in, eh, shall we say, less than, than secure situations, you got to <laughs> wonder if our deceased relatives are really just starting to get sick of our shit. <laughs> I think they'd be quite surprised with me recently. <laughs> yeah, though they're they're really they're they're waiting for the other shoe to drop. They're thinking, man, things have been really quiet on the Paul front. There hasn't been any men with machetes. There hasn't been kung fu drifters. He's he's just living, he's just living a life. I'm, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's uh, always enjoy the calm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This entry is from Alyssa. My first story happened when I was a sophomore in high school. I was staying at my grandparents' house because my parents were at the hospital after a planned surgery for my mum. My grandparents live in the same house that my grandpa was born and raised in and he bought it from his parents when they moved. Their bedroom is off the kitchen and the kitchen connects to the dining room which has a window that looks out onto the road. Their fridge sits next to the doorway to the dining room and this particular night I was getting a cup of water before bed. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw someone looking out of the dining room window at the road. I thought it was my grandma, because the figure was the same height, with the same short, curly hair, so I thought nothing of it. But then my grandma walked out of her bedroom, which was behind me. I looked at her, and then looked at the dining room. Weren't you just in the dining room? I asked her. She looked at me confused and said, no. I told her what I saw, and she just shrugged. I believe it was my great-grandma checking up on the house and making sure it was secure before we went to bed. My next story happened a few months later, right after I finished my sophomore year of high school. My other grandma, my dad's mom, had been having health problems for quite a few years. On this particular day, she had a doctor's appointment, but went in feeling short of breath. They admitted her, and long story short, she ended up having a pulmonary embolism and passing away. I didn't know any of this until the day after though, because I was celebrating the end of the school year with my best friend by going to a baseball game and spending the night at her house. My family didn't want to tell me the night it happened because they knew my grandma would have wanted me to enjoy myself. That night, after we got back to my friend's house, we were asleep in her living room when I suddenly woke up in the wee hours of the morning. I still didn't know my grandma was gone at this point. We were very close, and shared a lot of the same interests, including the weather. She lived an hour west of us, so whenever she got any sort of bad weather, she would call us and let us know what to expect. Anyway, the reason I woke up that morning was because it had started to rain and thunder outside. It wasn't a particularly loud or heavy storm, just a gentle, early summer thunder shower. I fell back asleep during it, and the next morning when my dad came and picked me up, he told me the news. I firmly believe that the storm I heard the night before was my grandma's way of saying goodbye. Ever since then, it seems like there's always some sort of small or gentle rain or thunder shower on the morning of any major event in my life. I also seem to always wake up five minutes before a storm hits my house, 
almost like she's waking me up to say, hey, heads up, it's going to storm. It always makes me smile and think of her, knowing that she's still looking out for us. This last story isn't mine, but rather my boyfriend's. His freshman year of high school, his uncle died unexpectedly of a heart attack while on vacation with the rest of the family. My boyfriend had summer football practices, so he stayed behind with his grandma, who was too elderly to tag along. My boyfriend said his uncle had a penny collection and would always give them as gifts for good luck. Ever since he passed away, my boyfriend said he sees pennies laying heads up on the ground whenever he's nervous or worried about something, or whenever he has a big event coming up. I'm not trying to make this my story, but I've started noticing heads up pennies at random times as well, and I'd like to think it's his uncle's way of showing he likes me and approves of our relationship. That's really, really beautiful. Thank you, Alyssa, so, so much. Pennies are a very strange thing, aren't they? Because a lot of paranormal events seem to involve pennies, don't they? I suppose so, yeah. I mean, we, we had a whole episode, pardon me, a whole episode called Pennies from Heaven. Mm. There's a famous case from Wales, I think, uh, with a poltergeist called Pete, Pete the Polt. He inhabited a uh, shop factory place where a, a, a family ran and he was supposed to be a, a young boy because one of them saw him and when this guy retired the, the poltergeist went with him um, and he reckoned that this poltergeist would usually leave him between five and ten pounds every week just dotted around the house he would oh, find wow. collections of money all over the place i mean that, that's the kind of ghost i want jesus yeah, absolutely. And it was never money that had gone from him or him or his wife's wallet or purse. It was just money that just turned up in their house, on the table, in the sink. Um, like they'd be washing the pots and they'd find a coin inside the pots and stuff. Oh, wow. That's so much more, more intense than just, you know, oh, I, I found some change on the table. Yeah. And he, he seemed to um, build a really strong relationship with it. It was It's quite sweet to see his, he was interviewed a few times in the mid nineties and he talked about this poltergeist with great affection. Oh, wow. Is that common? Do people usually kind of um, bond with, with the poltergeist in that way? No. <laughs> <laughs> not in my experience, not, not through the vast majority of cases I've read about or, or heard people speak about. You could probably count that kind of positive relationship on one hand. So I, I, you just got lucky. Mm. If you go onto YouTube, you can, if you look for Pete the Poltergeist, there's a lot of interviews from sort of mid nineties. And are, is it, is it ongoing or does his story kind of faded from public view? I think the gentleman passed away cause he was quite, he was in his sixties when he retired. So I don't think he's with us anymore, unfortunately. Oh shit. Do you know if the haunting continued after that? I don't believe it did. Because, like I say, it went with him to his home. So it left the, the, the shop and moved in with him. Oh, geez. So it's almost like once he was gone, mm. so was it. Well, Pete the Polt, folks, look it up on YouTube. See, Paul's always teaching us shit. <laughs> this story comes from Ashlyn. And Ashlyn has shared other stories with us. So she says, hey, guys, it's Ashlyn again. I actually wrote this story first, but thought the one from my office was more interesting. And I, I thought you may enjoy this one as well. Like I said before, I come from a long line of powerful spirituality. My mom's mom, my nanny, who's passed, my mom and I were all gifted with this ability. 
In early 2014, my nanny had passed away. After that, I went to a treatment facility for drug and alcohol abuse a few months after. I had been using for years at that point, but after her passing, it got to the point where I needed help. I was there for a month and then moved back into my mom's. I was asleep one night and heard this deep, scratchy voice say my name with a pause in the middle. Ash Lynn. I sat up straight, freezing in the middle of a Tennessee summer. That house always had some negative feelings about it, but I laid my head back down and went to sleep. A few nights later, I had a dream about a woman sitting in a white vanity. She had blonde curly hair pinned up in a very beehive or 60s style. She was young with a light blue turtleneck and a silver necklace hanging from within her collar. She turned to me and looked me straight in the eye and told me, everything is going to be okay. She was glowing and had the most pure energy about her. The next day I told my mom about it and she smiled warmly. She said, that's exactly how your nanny looked when she was younger. I had no clue. I grew up with four older sisters and out of all of them, my mom always picked me out of us to point out how I'm just like my nanny. We moved to Tennessee from California when I was in third grade and I never saw her in person afterwards because of funds. My oldest sister, however, who stayed in California, always says the same thing. I feel my nanny and I have a very strong connection, especially since I feel I have inherited a very special gift from her. My mom said my nanny was very powerful, but never knew how to use it, so my mom is glad I am so open to it and exercise it daily. I used my nanny's encouraging words from that night to remind myself it will be okay. I still struggled afterwards for a while, but today I can say I am almost three years sober, and I feel I owe a lot of it to her and my other past grandparents looking after me, and visiting me, letting me know it'll be okay. And Ashlyn, I want to say, I mean, congratulations on three years. I, I, again, I can't remember when this was sent in, but, you know, I hope that it's, uh, I hope that it's, it's more than that now, and, and if it's not, that's okay too. As long as you're back on the road, that's, that's all that matters. Absolutely. This one is from Amy. I was always close with my grandparents. I've lost them both now, but there are so many good memories to look back on. I'm the youngest granddaughter, and as such, I was given a single special privilege. Only I was allowed to call my dad's dad, Grandpa. Everyone else had to call him Grandad. When I was not far off turning 13, we were informed that Grandpa had bowel cancer and it had advanced too far along to do anything. We went to see him in the hospital because we were told we weren't going to have much time to say goodbye. We left on a high note and had drawn and coloured pictures for him to hang in his room. And that was it for a few days. On the 7th of September 2003, at around 9.30pm, I had just gotten into bed and it felt like something in my chest snapped, like a string or a thread, and I cried myself to sleep. I had a strange dream where after chasing off some brats from this frazzled-looking woman's house, she let me in and told me to head to the back room. The silence in the room was absolute, truly silent as the grave, but in no way oppressive. There was a roaring fireplace, and everything about the room was cosy. And there was my grandpa, in his chair. He smiled so wide when he saw me, and I ran to him to hug him. It was so the biggest, warmest hug I've ever had. He directed my attention down to a baby in his arms. I didn't know who this was, but not the least bit surprised that Grandpa had a child with him. He loved his children and grandchildren. The next morning I was calm, I was okay, and when I heard the phone ring, 
I knew it was the hospital letting us know that Grandpa had passed during the night. A few days later, it was the funeral, and after Dad walked me out to show me where Grandpa's plaque was going, it was a beautiful spot, and I started inspecting his neighbours. Directly across from him was a plaque belonging to a very young baby. I haven't been there for a long while, so I don't remember the age or name. I just said, I just said, figures you'd pick them up. <laughs> and thank you, Amy. Yeah, my grandfather was like that. He he loved babies. Yeah. It would drive my grandma nuts because he would, if you if we were in a restaurant with a baby, it doesn't matter how far away it is, if he caught its eye in its high chair, he would just make little like wiggle his fingers at it and, and wave at it <laughs> for the entire meal. Would drive her crazy. Yeah, I think that's quite sweet that even in the afterlife, he was there taking care and looking after the little ones. Yeah, I think some people, that's just their role. You know, some people mm. are just good at that. And I know that because I'm not. <laughs> I am so bad at talking to kids. I, I, it's, it's almost comical how bad it is. <laughs> like I talked to them like we just got finished negotiating a business deal. Hello. Nice to see you. You're looking well. <laughs> I'm five. Do you like toys? <laughs> That's right. I, I have a strange magnetism for children. Children seem to gravitate towards me whether I want them to or not. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, the, uh, I'm the fun uncle that basically uh, entertains them and regales them with nonsense and silly things. So, yeah, I can kind of understand where that's coming from. That's cool. You don't regale them with machete stories, I assume. No, no, no. No, I once, um, uh, I, w I have to be very careful because I'm usually honest about things. So uh, one of my friend's sons once asked me if bears ate people. And I oh, said, no. And obviously I was honest. I said, yeah, of course they do. And he <laughs> cried for three hours. Oh, no. And we had, to, we had to basically convince him, obviously, that bears don't live in England, but he still wouldn't have it. And then I got really annoyed about the fact that he was crying about something that couldn't eat him in this country. <laughs> see that's where you needed me to come in and calmly explain to the child well, you see here child you don't need to be having this emotional reaction it's a silly bears don't live here bears live in canada yeah you might get mauled by a badger that's it yeah or or you know those big cats on the moors you know that but possible you might, you might get eaten by a black dog you might yeah. get just knifed you know you might <laughs> any like any number of things could happen here it's just it's not going to be bears calm down yeah. And he's I was just... once nearly killed by cows. <laughs> were you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to think it was a myth. There used to be these stories about people who were trampled by cows. And we once went out walking our dog um, on, a, on a public footpath. And we were in this field and the cows were miles away. They were right at the bottom end, edge of this field, right? So we're walking across this field on this public footpath down towards this wood on this lovely walk. And after about a couple of minutes, I'm thinking, why are the cows coming towards us? And then, and then they started trotting. And I thought, are they, are they coming for us? <laughs> and we literally got into this wood by the skin of our teeth. I'm not joking. These, these cows, and it was a fairly big herd. There was probably about 50 or 60 of them. Oh, Jesus. And these cows were just basically coming in. And I was like... Fucking hell, fire. Like, proper had to peg it <laughs> this last sort of 20 yards into the wood. And I'm laughing at this thing, thinking, fucking, I cannot believe this is, this is really happening. 
and we got in the wood, ran, ran, ran up this down this hill to the bottom. And as I turned round, this one coward walked into the wood, and it was just staring at me. Oh Jesus! Like giving me the dead, and it was like a shark because cows have got quite dead eyes. Um, yeah. And it was just, and I thought I've never seen a cow because I grew up. Where I grew up as a kid, we were surrounded by a farmer's fields. So we saw cows all the time, you know, played in fields with cows, no issues at all. I'd heard about occasional stories of this in the countryside and just thought it was like nonsense or they'd done something to upset the cows. We'd done nothing. They came, made a beeline for us to, to get us. It reminds me of that, um, <laughs> that old Simpsons episode with the, the elephant, Stampy. Yeah. And they finally get him to the, the, the elephant sanctuary and he's still an asshole. And the guy says, well, elephants like people. Some of them are just jerks. <laughs> but it was that you one last the- cow stood on the hill staring at me. <laughs> and if it could have got to me, it probably would have done. That is wild. You, for whatever reason, that, that cow just thought, nope, fuck you in particular. Yeah. Apparently, it's a defense mechanism that if they've got calves, it's a genetic thing that they will go towards because the dog wasn't even off the lead either he was on the lead wow but yeah the that, ca- <laughs> they must have come about i don't know 500 yards 600 yards from one end of the field to come <laughs> to us if they'd have stayed where they were and then it wouldn't have been a problem for anybody but they deliberately sure. came across to us that's like like the jets that's a street gang <laughs> if they could snap their if they could snap their fingers i they, they would literally do a dance number before stabbing you yeah clap the hooves yeah. I'm glad that Flossie did not take you with her. <laughs> I don't think we can top that. I think we'll just go out on that story. Moving on. Oh. <laughs> Boo, vine. <laughs> that wasn't as good. I don't care. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, now you and I have beef. <laughs> Pull the other one. <laughs> We're going to milk this for all this worth, aren't we? <laughs> oh, dear. You think you mean, oh, dairy. Hey. <laughs> oh, all right, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again. If you've got a story to share, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is a place to share it. Uh, you can also find us, well, we'll talk about all that crap in, in the C segment, but, uh, thank you again to everyone who shared with us. The, these stories are, uh, from all points in the ghost story guys history. And I was just so happy that we could finally present them to you. We're going to take a little break and be right back with our ghost force shout outs. Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now. 
because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be, it's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the number to call is 1-800-273-8255. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT, that's S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, please know that we've both been where you are and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. Thanks as always to Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for everything they do to help make all this possible. And thank you too to my friend and co-host, the great Paul Bestel, who's also the host of the Mysteries and Monsters podcast. What is coming up on Eminem, Paul? Um, we've got uh, some cryptid shows coming up. So I've got a couple of authors coming up covering uh, a strange possession in the Philippines and cryptids around the States. I've got uh, another member of the Olympic Project coming up to talk all things Bigfoot. Sweet. Uh, an episode focusing on theatre ghosts in Britain, which I'm really excited about because it's a brilliant book as well, so I'm looking forward to speaking with that guy. And uh, where can everyone find you on the internet? Yeah, you can find us under Mysteries and Monsters across all social media platforms, YouTube, and the website is mysteriesandmonsters.com. Perfect. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Large of the Truth. And pretty soon, uh, it, not by the time this releases, but probably within a week, I will have launched my new podcast, Largely the Truth with Brennan Store. And that is a, a non-paranormal podcast where I get to interview all kinds of fascinating people and share their stories with you. And so that's, uh, you'll be able to find that at largelythetruth.com, everywhere fine podcasts live. Again, won't be out by the time this drops, but it's going to be coming probably within the next week. And so I'm, I'm excited for that. It's going to be another bi-weekly show, probably about 45 minutes to an hour in length. And we'll be talking, or I'll be talking to, uh, musicians, activists, artists, all kinds of very, very cool people who've got perspectives worth hearing. So I'm, I'm very excited to get that out the door. Um, because I've recorded two of my interviews already. It was just, it's, it's been great. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to sharing that with you guys. But again, that'll be, uh, Coming up soon, hosted by the fine folks at Audioboom. Now, as we mentioned, this, this whole enterprise happens because of Patreon. It's a gift. And so thank you to every one of our patrons who contributes. And if you want to join the team, if you want to get access to all the bonus shows that we've started doing, you know, there's, uh, for, for the people who just want ghost stories without all the bullshit, there is the book of the dead. And those is uh, three stories every week, minimum 10 minutes, some uh, often longer. And, uh, so that's, that's a weekly show. There's host adventures, which is where I just shoot the shit and kind of monologue to the audience for about half an hour. People seem to really be loving that. There's me and Paul, which is where me and Paul shoot <laughs> the shit and, uh, 
do all the socializing that sort of uh, we don't necessarily do on the main show, which is hard to believe because we do a lot on there. But uh, those are tons of fun. There's also the Sunken Library, which is a, a anywhere from 45-minute to 90-minute paranormal podcast. It's once a month. And that is just uh, a deep dive into a topic that either wouldn't fit for the main show or possibly an interview with someone who uh, in the paranormal field who has something interesting to share. You know, for example, this month we had the podcaster and author James Salcedo on to talk about precognitive dreams and, and some of his experiences with that. And it was a really, really fascinating conversation. Of course, then there's our monthly movie night, which is for patrons at the $10 level and above. That's where me and Paul hang out with you guys on a Saturday afternoon and we watch some truly terrible movies. <laughs> we watched, uh, last month, we watched the 1991 werewolf uh, non-classic, Mom, which is actually pretty good, all things considered. <laughs> and then this month, we are watching Bloodsucking Pharaohs from Pittsburgh, <laughs> which is a thing that exists in the world. All that and more. And there's physical rewards. There's all kinds of extra shit, too. There's so much happening. It's such a great community. We've got great people there. We'd love to have you come be part of the party. And you can check all that out at patreon.com slash guys. And if you're a patron at the $20 level and above, every other show, you get a shout out here as part of Ghost Force. That's right. Patrons at the Ghost Force level get thanked right here on this part of the show every second episode in this voice. This time around, our members of Ghost Force are Atham Saragon, Elisa Kubilla, Amanda Strong, Ashley Marsha, Christopher Coons, Danielle Harris, Eric Abel, Hannah Brown, Hannah Siemens, Holland Connor, Jackie McFarland, Jeanette Patterson, Gene Cupertino, Jennifer Petty, Julia Lagubrius, Just Julie, Jenna Blackwelder, Kimberly Hansen, Karen, Lumpy Rug, Ian Harrison, Mark Sumler, Mary Rose WW, Peter Guns 08.5, Rebecca Brink, Rhonda Sheen, and Richard Eastby. You are the few. You are the proud. You are Ghost Force. For real though, guys. Thank you very much. <laughs> By now, the episode will be out. I'm on the Grim Reader podcast. Thank you to uh, Nikki and Rebecca at the Grim Reader. If you want to get in touch, shoot an email to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok as Ghost Story Guys, And we're on Instagram as the Ghost Story Guys. You can also reach us on the ghost line. There's something Thanks to our listener, Amber Pease, for our ghost line jingle. Again, the number is one 888 You can leave your message for the show as one or a series of voice messages, and you can text us at 925-553-4789. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter of Pizzanta Music. You can find more from him by searching for Pizzanta Music wherever you get your tunes. Our stories theme is A Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. Find more from them by searching for Hexagram wherever you get your music. And again, that's Hexagram with two X's, not three. I guess that's it. Yeah.
There'll be another episode along in a couple of weeks. But until then... Into the darkness we go. This bitch. <laughs> They're very nice, but I wouldn't like to cross them because I'd be dead. <laughs> it is the curse. I'm going to say the curse of greatness. Fuck it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to be that guy. <laughs> Let you say that. Uh, there we go. Now, we, we went through the ringer. We're out. And by God, we're happy. I'm so fucking happy to be doing this. Exactly. I often pee in public like a horse. <laughs> Thus, the similarities end. I guess we should record stories, eh? Because we haven't recorded like 10% of the fucking show. This story. Nope. Shit. Hang on. Something's gone wrong. I don't even know what the fuck I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, because I, I say that should be enough, but teehee. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if I want him to come out of it with powers, but I mean, if it was a power to not be such a piece of shit to his sister, then hey, I'm all for it. And I will be there watching with popcorn. <laughs> Sorry, I, I've got that fucking lawnmower back. I don't, can you hear it? Only slightly. Oh, God. <laughs> God damn it. Of all, well, I shouldn't say of all days. They never stop mowing the fucking lawn. <laughs> Hurricane could be blowing through. They'll be out here mowing the fucking lawn. Well, that's one way of getting rid of it. Jesus, he's a hard looking man. Yeah, yeah. That's a face that's been lived in. Uh, well, lived in and smacked around and stepped on a few times. <laughs> Set fire to. Uh, yep. Then watched men die. <laughs> what a tragedy. Father and son next to each other. He added as he sipped from his bottle. I love this guy. I don't care if he's an asshole. <laughs> Obviously, I can't leave that in. No, you can't.